episode of Nothing But Nets. I'm your host, as always, Dave Early. This is a Clutch Points podcast. I'm here with Greg Dennis. Greg, how you doing? Doing good, Dave. Season's heating up. Things are getting exciting, and I'm looking forward to chopping it up. So the Nets have finally gotten that we can't beat any elite teams boogeyman off their back. They were 0-8 against the top two teams from each conference. And so every time they played one of these important games against a great team, they would always get asked, you know, was, was that a, is this a potential statement game for you guys? And they would always say, not really, we don't look at it, but it's a good test for us to see where we're at. And then they would lose. And then after the game, they'd say, you know, it's a long season. We'll, we'll figure it out. Finally, they get one of those games and it's not just that they got it. They, they just destroyed the first place team. With their full arsenal, Kyrie Irving was in the lineup, Kevin Durant and James Harden. They had the young core going. There was no LaMarcus Aldridge. There was no Joe Harris. There was no Nick Claxton. But, I mean, they were clicking on all cylinders. Yeah, I mean, that's why, you know, the idea of a statement game for this team, it, it almost feels like an oxymoron because, um, you know, when they have their full team going like this, they're pretty much unguardable. We saw that last night. And, uh, you know, you, you said it. the Bulls are, are the first place team, but, you know, the jury's still out there. So not a shocker as far as I'm concerned. Tell me, tell me about that jury being out. You don't believe in the Bulls? Well, I mean, believe in them, I guess, relatively. Do I think they can make the finals? I think it would take – I think it would take uh, some luck, but you know, like we saw last year, if if um, things open up via injury, then sure, the Bulls could could find themselves. Maybe you know, both the Bucks and Suns last year had some good fortune to reach the finals. Without that, the I, I think before I, that, exactly. So you know, you never know what could happen. I think I think they could get there, but they need some help. Yeah. yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I, as much as I've been impressed by DeMar DeRozan, um, and you know what I think of, of Zach Levine, so, and so usually that's how I define it. Do you have top-end star talent? If you do, then yeah, you can absolutely win your conference. That being said, I haven't seen it long enough, and I haven't seen them beat anyone good yet, so I'm very suspicious. Um, whereas, you know, Harden, Durant, Kyrie, there's nothing to be suspicious about. They're going to be heavy favorites, even if Kyrie's only available half the time. I was joking yesterday that with the Nets looking so good, they look like a part-time super team now. Yeah, I saw it looked like, it looked like a, I mean, you're being modest, but it was actually a, a viral tweet that you sent out in the cyberspace. Just try not to um, use the word viral as much anymore <laughs> these days. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I think that's fair. I mean, you got to think if the Nets play the Bulls in a in a series, I I would I would argue they have the three best players in the series. So you know, have has has a team ever won a series where where they didn't have any of the top three players? Now maybe. Maybe, you know, it doesn't play out that way and Levine and DeRozan play so well that, that they actually are in the top three. But going into that series, I, I'd say the Nets have the top three players in the series. 
Yeah, yeah, that's fair. My mind went to like the 2004 Pistons, but they they didn't give up the third best player in that series. They probably gave up the first two players in the series, but then had the next five. Where then we might look at the the Mavericks with Dirk. He probably wasn't the fourth best player in that series himself. He played like the best. So yeah, yeah I, I agree. Exactly. With you. Exactly. I think that with Kyrie Irving as a part-time player, they, they beat the Bulls in a seven-game series. Um, but there's, there's real optimism over the last 24 hours of this, as of this recording that he could be a full-time player without getting vaccinated. So Stefan Bondi of the New York Daily News first reported that, you know, there's a potential loophole here where Josiah could pay some fines you know, which would amount to a pittance for someone as wealthy as he is for Kyrie to play in Brooklyn. And it would just be like slap on the wrists to a billionaire several times over. Have you heard about this one? I didn't hear that. That'd be really interesting. Um, you know, I guess if that's the case, um, then, you know, what would they be weighing at that point? I guess they'd be weighing sort of the public backlash and the perception of you know different rules for different um <laughs> different economic statuses uh you know which could could come off a certain way um on the other hand depending on you know where we are with the pandemic and how how perception shifts between now and then maybe maybe they decide that uh it's it's a risk worth taking i think once you make the decision all right, we're, we don't want Kyrie to play, no part-time players. We want continuity. We want to send a message that we're all in. Once you go back on all that, because you need – you just can't keep trotting Kevin Durant out there for 40 minutes every game just to you know, chase a three-seed or a four-seed and then expect to win the finals. So you walk it all back. Doesn't having done so make it a little bit easier, kind of get your foot in that door to make the next step? Um you know, somewhere late, late on Wednesday night, Woj was because the game ended so late for some reason, it started at 10 p.m. Eastern against Chicago. Woj was on TV talking about real optimism. This is a quote, real optimism within the organization. Close quote, that Kyrie Irving could actually become a full time player despite not getting vaccinated. So that's really interesting. Um, I, yeah, I, I kind of agree. You know, and then at what point do they make that decision? I mean, do they wait until they're down to one in a series or do, do they say, you know, let's just go all in right now and pay the fine? You know, I, I do think it would rub a lot of people the wrong way. But, um, you know, the mandate in New York itself is a little strange in itself because you have guys who are away players that can play. And then you have guys who are part of the New York city taxing system that can't, it doesn't make a lot of sense as it is. So. Yeah. I, I think that there's enough that's confusing. There's enough that's new where if this was an option and they were open to that option, I don't think that they would necessarily hesitate. I think they would just, Hey, let's just, let's just pay these fines and, you know, we were already open to not paying him all the money for not being eligible. Now we're going to be paying the money and he'll get his. So I think what they want is to have a full-time team, have 
have the benefit that having that comes not just in the win column, but also limiting everyone's minutes, Kevin Durant and James Harden, you know, league leaders in minutes all year long, they logged 30 and 33 minutes respectively. It was both like among the lowest totals they've played all year. That's what, that's the other benefit to this is there's been so few games in a calendar year. We've seen the big three. The one thing that's evaded them has been health. If there's a way to improve that player health and it costs some money, uh, you know, I think they would do it pretty quickly. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, what would be interesting if they did do that and the mandate stayed in place, how, how would that factor into their long-term feelings on Kyrie being there? You know, now, right. now you're essentially, that, that'd be interesting, but, I agree. I mean, you know, they've got they've got a window here to win a championship. They've got these three guys and they've already, as you said, kind of cracked the door open. Um, it, you know, why not? Why not go for it? Yep. I think, you know, we've had a couple podcasts over the last couple of weeks where we've said things like, does the specter of him remaining unvaccinated and remaining a part time player give you some motive to shop him or James Kyrie or James Harden. And I think at this point, uh, Kevin Durant would basically say, having seen how they all look on the court together. Now, having seen how happy they seem after those games, you know, it was a very jovial atmosphere following that bulls win. Um, I think Durant would say over my dead body, you're going to trade one of these guys for some long-term security. We're going for a title this year. And so I think their answer to your question there would essentially be, yeah, we're definitely concerned about, you know, paying long-term fines or what might change. We're not going to concern ourselves with it for the rest of this season. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I think you're right. As a Sixers fan, it's, um, it's uh, a little hard to accept because there's been a lot of smoke around the, around the James Harden coming to Philly rumors, but, you know, I, I I don't see it for the reasons you stated, and uh, I you know just watching them, it it's hard not to have them as prohibitive favorites with the team they have now, which is you know something we all thought before the season. But here we are coming into February, and we're talking about Kyrie being there full time. So yeah, I don't see any trades. Yeah, I you know what I think happened here? I think Stefan Bondi of Daily News, I think Adrian Wojnarowski started to worry that we were going to do a podcast exclusively about basketball. So they dropped this just so that it was going to be at least half about whether or not Kyrie gets to play full time. Yeah, it's funny. You know, I was uh, reading an article about Kyrie that was written in 2019. And it was just interesting remembering kind of the um, persona and storylines that surrounded him shortly after going to Brooklyn. And now you almost forget that whatever you thought of him then is so different now. Um, so he's really had like a number of chapters, you know, the big shot in the finals, the Celtics, everything transpired there, um, you know, coming back to Brooklyn and now, you know, kind of being the face of um, 
defiance of these vaccine mandates and being the last remaining piece of a super team, he's really had a fascinating career and he's only 29. So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Yeah, he, he let his guard down with the media after the win. He was, you know, he opened up about how it touched him to have his dad, who he's extremely close with, you know, beyond their basketball bond, um, having him courtside for one of his first games back and what that was like having not grown up with a mother. So he got kind of deep and then he made a hilarious joke. I think it was Nick Friedel of ESPN who asked him basically, what do you do when the Nets play and you're not eligible? Where do you watch? And Kyrie was like, well, I watch at home in New Jersey with my family. There's a million people who are huge Nets supporters there that I watch with. I watch with my, my child. I watch with my fiance. He goes, I, it's a little high profile for me to just go to like a local dive bar, but I would love to do that. Uh, and then he made the joke. Wouldn't it be funny if I was like, okay, made a shot. Let's do a shot. And then he started cracking up. He was like, no, I'm just, I'm just playing. I, I watched either by myself or with my family at home. So um, he's, he's I'm gonna a need to see character. What? <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to need to see uh video footage of that. Um, I think, I think I retweeted it from, uh, SNY videos, or I might've just cut it up myself, but yeah, you can check on Twitter. Pretty fun. Um, at, at David early on Twitter, I'll plug my own Twitter there and you can find some of these videos that go up right away. Great follow. Great tweeter. Highly <laughs> recommend. <laughs> um, so we do have some breaking news that's, that's taking place as we're recording. The New York Knicks have acquired Cam Reddish of the Atlanta Hawks. They're trading a protected first-round pick and I think a second. Um, any immediate thoughts on a Atlantic Division quote-unquote rival? I know they've got their big 15. <laughs> You're laughing. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's, it, it's kind of funny. But, yeah, I think, uh, I th- I think it's, it's, a, it's a fine trade for the Knicks. You know, Cam Reddish has been kind of disappointing. Seems like Atlanta has been looking to consolidate their roster and maybe it's just feeling like he's, you know, there's not really a role for him there. There was whispers earlier in the year that he was unhappy. And for the Knicks, um, you know, I assume they're finally giving up on Kevin Knox. And, you know, this is a guy who maybe has some upside and can develop uh, in New York. It's, you know, that's a team in need of talent, in need of wings. So I think it's a fine move. Yeah, I, I like it better for the Knicks um, because I think, what you know, what's the downside? He's 22. He's shooting 38% from three. He's got a large athletic body with some maybe athletic upside built in there. Um, from the Nets perspective, I like this even more because it's, it signals to me the Atlanta Hawks who – looked like an up-and-coming team. They made the conference finals. They were heading for a two-to-one. A lot of people, I think, forget they were heading for a two-to-one series lead with home court advantage over the eventual champs before Trey Young stepped on a referee's foot and was never the same for the rest of that series. They, they could have made the finals, and they have like five guys who are 24 or younger on that roster. So if you're worried about them emerging over the years as an up-and-comer, them deciding we don't want to basically go into the luxury tax to keep this guy because 
we don't think he really moves the needle and all we're getting is a pick. That's pretty good for the Nets and just sort of limiting a, a potential budding uh, perennial contender like Atlanta. Yeah, what do you think's been going on with Atlanta this year? I mean, Trey Young has been amazing. I think he's averaging like 28 and 10 or something. Um, probably going to be an all-NBA team. But there's just they just haven't really clicked. Do you think this is a case of a young team that uh, overachieved a bit in the playoffs last year and are now kind of drunk on their own success? Or do you think <laughs> that this is more, more reflective of, of who they are and, um, you know, they're sort of regressing back to that. Uh, it's a great question. I haven't watched them enough to give you an answer that I'm very confident in, but I am someone who says I value the small sample of a playoff series a lot more than I value a sample almost two or three times as large of the following regular season. So I think there's some upside for them to get back to that. Couldn't really tell you exactly what hasn't worked. I know John Collins is disgruntled with a role which from a team perspective seems ideal i mean they're getting him all of these lob dunks and wide open corner threes and he's got this really nice valuable shooting profile but he wants more and you start to think of a player like jeremy grant who was not satisfied being a stretch four on a contender like denver he wanted his own team in detroit is that something that john collins wants and when you start getting into that, you know, a valuable player on it, what you think should be a good team, it kind of reminds you of the Boston Celtics where they're just, they've got the talent. And for some reason, they're, they're hitting their heads and they're frustrated and they're feuding a little bit uh, and something isn't working. And I don't know what, but it vibes the same, similar to me. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think that's accurate. And I agree that it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if at some point that they just kind of rip off like 12 out of 15 wins or something, mm -hmm. because there's just a lot of talent. And uh, I think offensively, they're still one of the top teams in the league. So it's really just, um, you know, a matter of getting things clicking. It, it's hard. It's hard to place. You mentioned John Collins. He's uh, he's a really good player. There, there was rumors about him being, traded for Ben Simmons. I'm sure Atlanta would do that in a second. I don't think the Sixers would, but agree. you never know. You never know how it would play out. Well, what I would have said is the Sixers will definitely say no unless you're offering them like, you know, a, a weird number of picks that extends beyond the value of Collins himself. And, you know, it, it's you look at Atlanta and you think this is not a rebuilding team. They're not going to want to sit on this pick. This pick's going to be on the move within two weeks. So is that part of a, a bigger Ben Simmons deal and they're stockpiling ammo because Daryl Morey wasn't very interested in Cam Reddish? I don't know, but these are the questions that I'm starting to ask myself when I see this deal. Yeah, you have to figure that if there was momentum on a Ben Simmons Atlanta trade, that uh, Cam Reddish would be one of the guys involved. But, but you know, maybe not. Maybe Daryl just had no interest. Daryl... I guess we would say would prefer the, the fungible draft picks and offer like, you know, rather than four of them offer now five of them to try to get a more proven player more along the lines of Joel Embiid's immediate timeline than 
whatever upside, but maybe no upside shot that Cam Reddish is. Yeah, I mean, the, the Ben Simmons thing, you, you know, there was the report yesterday that Rich Paul, Daryl Morey, and Elton Brand met for dinner somewhere in downtown Philadelphia, and each side basically restated their position, which hasn't changed. And I don't know, it's just hard to see this ending uh, ending well if it, if it, for the Sixers if they trade them before the deadline. Now, maybe someone comes loose, but I'm starting to think more and more that, you know, that the Sixers are just going to wait. And um, it, it makes sense given where they're at right now. Yeah, so about that, the player whose name comes up in all of those, if they don't trade Ben Simmons rumors is James Harden in a sign and trade. Brian Windhorst mentioned that on the hoop collective podcast recently with Mark J Spears, who I think backed him up on that point. Um, what do you think about that? Do you think there's real smoke there? Daryl Morey always wants James Harden. He feels that Ben Simmons will have more trade value. If he could top the sign and trade market than he does right now, returning someone like John Collins or Tyrese Halliburton? Um, or do you think that's maybe just like a mutually beneficial rumor? Sixers get to gain some leverage and say, hey, look, we're really not going to trade Ben Simmons, so you better offer a ton. We're going to wait for Harden. And maybe Harden gets to say, hey, look, this team really, really wants me, so you guys better offer me $275 million come June. You know, I think that... The Nets are under no delusions that they will they will have to pay not a penny less than two hundred seventy five million dollars <laughs> to keep James Harden because he's James Harden. He you know even even if he completely underperforms the rest of the season, which but which obviously looks like it's not going to happen, he would command every single penny he's eligible for. So I don't think that there's a need to posture. I think that both sides know that he's going to get all his money. And I also think that the Nets wouldn't have traded every pick they have if they weren't intending to pay him. So I don't really think that, that the, the poker game that could be going on between them is real. I, I think both sides know that they're going to have to pay James Harden. I do think Harden's probably intrigued about the idea of going to Philly. Um, obviously, there's the Daryl Morey connection, but, you know, it's... it's Windhorse pointed just... out a, uh, a Michael Rubin connection, one of their part, part owners, and I don't know if they have some business together or their friends, but Windhorse sort of implied there were other reasons beyond Daryl Morey where Harden would be interested in going there. That's interesting. Um, you know, the, the thing is, is if the Nets win the championship, and Harden plays a role, which, which, you know, he would if the Nets won a championship. Is it realistic that he would leave? Uh, you know, I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to imagine. Now, if the playoffs go a certain way and, and they disappoint, and maybe he likes the idea of sort of being, you know, the lone perimeter uh, creator, like, he, what, like he's been in Houston for most of his career then maybe, you know, maybe he does that. But I don't know. I don't know why he would leave. It seems like he's pretty happy in Brooklyn. Yeah. I mean, I, I've never got the sense that he uses extreme misdirection, have you? Like, as a player that you followed over the years, 
Do you think he like deliberately obfuscates and clouds his feelings? I think we know like he was unhappy being a sixth man in Oklahoma and he found a way to not be. And he was MVP candidate for like 10 years. And as soon as he was frustrated, as soon as he was unhappy, we learned about it. They bring in Chris Paul. And as soon as that doesn't work, they bring in Westbrook. And as soon as that isn't working, they move Capella for more spacing. So I think he's the kind of player who he might not speak about it publicly, but you learn very quickly via the, the news media and what his team is doing when he's not happy. And I get no sense that he's unhappy or wants to leave. And he said the opposite. He, if you had this feeling that maybe he was frustrated with Kyrie Irving's situation, I think that would be fair. He has made some comments that made me think, huh, I wonder if he's more upset about this than he's letting on. He's got no spacing. Every time Kevin Durant sits, he's flanked by DeAndre Bembry and Bruce Brown. And people are starting to look at him like he's just not the same guy. Maybe he feels with better spacing he would be. And that, and then he kind of blames that on Irving. You know, there's definitely something to that, maybe. He joked after the win in Chicago, hey, man, to make him a full-time player, I'll give Kyrie the shot myself. So I... To me, that's just a little more evidence that if Joe, Joe and Clara Usai backed up the Brinks trucks for this trio, he would happily take that. Uh, and the other thing I'll add to all that is basically another team should have more reservations maxing James Harden than the Nets should because if he's your third best player, that's fine. I mean, he, if he can pick his spots and drop like he had 25, 16, and 7 last night, five of eight from three. If he could do that every third game now, that's, that's amazing for you. So if you were the Sixers and you need to win a title with him and just Joel Embiid, you would need more than that, I think. But for the Nets, they, they don't. But you, are, are you saying that the Sixers should think twice about uh, trading and maxing him out? I'm saying that his value as a, player you want to make moves for if you want to hold ben simmons through the trade deadline for the outside chance that you get him and then max him you should be very scared of that where the nets it's just we're not going to trade him we don't care if he's lost a step we want this trio because we think we could win two or three titles even if he has lost two steps yeah i think i think that's probably fair i mean it's amazing watching him now like, you know, he, he has clearly lost a step, as you said, you know, maybe that's maybe his injury is still nagging or maybe he just can't drop extra weight. I don't know, but he's clearly lost a step. And yet, like he's he's still highly effective. Now, maybe if he was, you know, the primary offensive initiator, that would be something that could be exposed a bit more. But with the Nets, you know, he's he still has the IQ, he can still pace the game. So, you know, I, I think, I think it makes a lot of sense for him to stay where he is in some ways. Yeah. His passing is ridiculous. He certainly has a chance to lead the NBA and assist this season. He's, I think he's just behind Chris Paul most of the year. Um, Kyrie Irving out there, he had nine points, I think four, four rebounds, three assists. He was basically a superstar decoy and that worked for them. And there's going to be nights where that could be the case again. And then it'll flip where, you know, Harden's more of the decoy and, and Irving's getting buckets or Durant's getting buckets. And if you can get by some games, two thirds of the game, one third of the game without asking too much of Harden, I think you're going to see Harden 
have these games where he's a massive difference maker. Whereas if he went to another team and he was asked to carry the load every single night, you might see a more close approximation to the Harden we saw through 30 games this year. Yeah, I, I would, I would agree. Totally agree. So circling back um, to the game, the Nets are now, you know, just out of first place still, but I think they've sent a message after the game. Kevin Durant was basically saying, we don't set out to make any statements, but I, but I do think the, the NBA took notice of what happened here tonight. It was a little bit of a, like tongue in cheek or maybe an ominous threat. <laughs> like it's up to you. It's up to you. If you don't want to worry about us, you've seen what we just did. Um, what do you, what do you think? And by the way, um, no, I, I totally agree. And, and let's not forget, you know, we have, we haven't, they haven't even got Joe Harris back yet. So, um, and Claxton wasn't in and Claxton wasn't in. So, I mean, like you just think when those two guys are back, they're they're just not going to be guardable. I mean, the the one thing I guess if you're facing them in a series, um, you're you're just hoping you can destroy them on the boards and that you know their defense is off. But offensively, I mean, I I just don't know what what anyone can do. I, I just don't see it. The the path to beating the Brooklyn Nets is basically this: Kyrie Irving remains a part time player. And the team is just, you know, they're right now they're like an average team at home. And I'll bake in some continuity and improvement there. They, they'll be above average for sure by the playoffs at Barclay Center when they're all locked in. But they're definitely not going to be unbeatable without Irving in that lineup. I agree. And we've, and we've seen that. Um, but if Irving's there, I, I think we saw the, the path to beating them last year. You just have to hope they get hurt. (laughs) (laughs) And that would be, that would be the most painful agony for Nets fans looking for their first ever NBA championship. Um, Basically that you've got this big three, but you just can't ever get them on the court at the same time for one reason or another. Um, That's right. (laughs) Here's, here's a hard (laughs) set after that game. We're all killers. We attack and we're all unselfish. We like to just make the right play. And he joked, one of the best feelings, honestly, is, is the old school load management he got. He was like, you know, you either did something right or you did something wrong. You either got blown out or you blew someone out. If you get to rest the fourth. Um, and then his funniest line was, I'm going to give him the shot. And everyone started laughing. And one reporter above all the others was like, did he wait? Did he just say he did he say he's going to give him the shot? <laughs> and everyone's like, yes. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's good advice from Harden. What about the load management? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yep. Um, and then, all right. Let me just let me just ask you this final question before we wrap up. The young core looked really good. Kessler, Edwards, Big Day Day, Daron Sharp looked good. Do you think that these guys now profile as rotation pieces for the playoffs? Do you think, and if we ask this to Steve Nash, he'd probably joke, something's always going on with our team where we probably need them all, joking that maybe there'll be an injury. Um, but do you think that any of them have might have played themselves into a deal for another veteran who could help on a 
cheap contract? Uh, that's a good question. I, I would say maybe not yet. Of course, it depends on the specifics and who that guy would be. But yeah, I think he'd have to be a very small contract. I'm thinking like a Reggie Bullock type or something like that. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, even even that name I, it seems seems out of reach. I'm sure the Nets would love that, but um, no, I think I think that um, you know they're happy with the development of those guys, but that you know I, I don't think that, I would be surprised if the Nets made any moves um, at this point going into the deadline. Yeah, you you sort of see like Patty Mills was really struggling, but as soon as the big three were out there, he was getting the type of wide open looks that he hasn't gotten all season. So it's like, uh oh, there's something lethal here. Yeah, we haven't even talked about Patty Mills. I mean <laughs> <laughs> there's just the shooting is just outrageous. Yeah. And if you're gonna give him looks where you know he, he was sprinting around you know, above the break threes and having to take these. And in some games, like on Christmas day, he drained them all and he was amazing. But then when you're relying on that, especially with Joe Harris out of the lineup and you only have two or three shooters out there at once, a little bit easier to cue on him and contest those looks where he goes through three or four games in a row where he's slumping. Doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. If you have the big three active, he's going to, there's just no way to, to really well contest his shot. And he's way too good of a shooter then to leave open. Yeah, and I mean, even even when he's not on, which has been rare this year, he, he just gives them another dimension with the spacing. So it's uh, it, it's it's just it's just an impossible puzzle to solve. Full time Kyrie Irving back. Does this team just plow through the NBA, or can a team like the Warriors with a healthy Clay Thompson beat them? Wow, that'd be a really exciting uh, finals. It's hard not to look ahead and, and see that as a possibility. Obviously, there'd be a lot of uh, Kevin Durant storylines. I think the Nets would would definitely be favorites. Um, you know, just because you've got you've got these three guys, these three stars, um, and uh, but but you know that would be that would probably be of, of all the possible finals matchups. I think that would be the most highly rated and most watched. Yeah. And, and if Kyrie were a part-time player heading into that series, would they still be favored? I think it depends on how uh, the rest of the year plays out. Both teams fully healthy right now. That And, and Kyrie is a part-time guy. Assuming Golden that, State that, wins home court, he'd be eligible for four of those games. Yeah. This feels kind of feels like a even money series. You know, it feels like a, a long series and um, that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. We're going to have to revisit this as we go on. All right, Greg, thanks so much. Fun as always. Um, didn't expect us to have another 10 minutes to talk about Kyrie Irving vaccination but, but Woj, Woj and uh, Stefan Bondi changed the equation for us yeah we'll see we'll see where we're at uh, next week it seems like this has uh, got some more twists and turns left in that yeah alright thanks for listening take care bye bye